Hello and welcome to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. This episode, we're uh, knee deep in the rainforests <laughs> of Lindsay's collection. Knee deep, huh? Yep, yep. We're just spelunking through the forest. Yes, yes. And what did you pick out for us? Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. Yes, the 1992 animated... Non-Disney animated movie. Non-Disney animated movie. Although, growing up in the early 90s, you never would have known because it was so much in that heavy rotation at school, I feel like. Plus, it had Robin Williams in it. Which just made me think of, you know, it always made me think of the genie and stuff and Aladdin. Yeah, this is pre-Aladdin, which I never really knew. This is Robin Williams' first animated vocal role. Same year. It was actually supposed to come out the year before, but they didn't want to compete with Beauty and the Beast. You know, God knows why they wouldn't want to (laughs) compete with that titan of a movie. It has some interesting uh, parallels with Beauty and the Beast and some of the animation style and and some of the the use of CGI, early use of CGI. Yeah, it's interesting because the CGI is actually pretty good. You can tell whenever it's on screen, or at least I think I can. And speaking of early CGI, uh, this is a perfect segue for our one and only ad on this VHS tape for Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, which starts with... A really cheesy looking Statue of Liberty putting its hands against its face and going, ah, just like Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) Yeah, that was bad. I kind of blocked that out. I'm also glad that Donald Trump wasn't in the trailer, even though technically he appears in the movie. Yeah, we found that out recently and it kind of blows my mind. I was never that familiar with the second one. I I probably saw it a few times growing up, but it wasn't like the, the classic that the original was. I think, honestly, if... I mean, if I'm being really honest, which I probably shouldn't admit this, I'm pretty sure that I saw Home Alone 3 more than the other two. <laughs> I forgot about 3 and 4. I always just kind of yeah. block those out of my mind. I've never seen 4, but I really liked 3 when I was a kid. Clearly, I was a child with no taste. I remember 3, be- the whole dilemma there was that it was a different kid and he was home with the chicken pox, yeah. rather... So he's not really, like, the the mom knows that he's home alone. And he really just has to defend his house for an afternoon, unlike the gauntlet of terrors that Macaulay Culkin had to deal with. He goes into the night, I think. Although now that I think about it, I think a lot of it does take place during the day. I also remember it had a cool techno soundtrack. Oh, I didn't remember that. But this is your pretty standard uh, Home Alone 2 trailer. A lot mm-hmm. of uh, bricks uh, falling on Joe Pesci and uh, Daniel Stern. and Showing some iconic New York scenery. And perfect segue again into the uh, movie we watched today. One Tim Curry has a pretty big role in both Home Alone oh, 2 yeah. and Ferngoy. Because he works for the hotel, right? Yeah. Oh. Uh, and then he he likes to play the evil man, too, because he plays kind of a bad, not a bad guy, but he's kind of the mean hotel clerk. Well, I mean, I don't know. As you grow older, you're more on Tim Curry's side in well, that yeah. movie because he's kind of looking out. <laughs> For the kid in the long run, because that kid should not be renting out a nice hotel room with his dad's credit card and... 
But anyway, he's the super evil sludge pollution in Fern Gully. Yeah, so tell us about Fern Gully. It's kind of an interesting animated movie, and we were both sort of saying that before we started recording that environmentalism has been so politicized that it's possible this movie couldn't be made today. Would you say that's fair? I don't know if it couldn't be made today. I think the thing for me was watching it. As a kid, I just watched it for the events and the characters and Robin Williams being a crazy kooky bat. But as an adult, I couldn't help but see it as this extremely politicized thing. Like I couldn't watch it in anywhere near the same way that I did as a child. And so that's one of the things where I kind of wonder, I'm sure that there are films that have kind of veiled propaganda in them. And I don't want to say propaganda in a negative way, like, but it really is kind of propaganda. It's trying to kind of push this point of view that wasn't necessarily held by everyone that we should protect the rainforests and that mankind was destroying them and destroying natural creatures ways of life and stuff like that and destroying their resources also animal testing is a thing which uh... i only understood on this watch so essentially this movie is about a group of fairies that kind of commune with the environment around them and they're they're friends with the with the birds and all that stuff and all these evil men are coming in and they're cutting down all the trees and so it's bringing destruction on the fairies way of life and so they kind of have they have to find a way to get the men to stop destroying their homeland. Robin Williams comes into this story literally just bashes into it. Yeah. He's, he's this blind bat with an antenna sticking out of his head. The main magical fairy, I guess our protagonist Krista, yeah, voiced by Samantha Mathis gives him the gift of sight and we learn that he's been the subject of some pretty extreme animal testing actually i'm gonna correct you there she didn't give him the gift of sight she gave him the gift of fairy sight so like nobody can nobody can see the fairies because she had to do the same thing for our he-man blonde man that came in too but his eyes were like pale and he was bashing into trees when we first saw him. Uh, that's Ma- true. Maybe he w- maybe she like gave him additional cuz I do she did give fairy sight to the the man too. What's funny is uh at, at my old house in Visalia growing up my dad uh had this constant war with the bats. Uh, there was a lot of war with the bats, but there was always like this big cluster of bats that were uh, that were all huddled up in a corner on our porch, like yeah. just like a big mound of bats. And my dad, <laughs> my dad used to tell me this story of how he went outside one night and he saw a bat just flying into a wall over and over and over again. <laughs> Like, I just didn't understand how to get around the wall. Which makes me think of my mom, who loves the environment. She probably understood that this movie was propaganda and wanted me to take it in early and young. But we had bats in our garage, and I just remember we just ducked, you know, we just didn't, we didn't bother them. She didn't want to disturb them. And the same was true for the owls that were nesting in our garage. (laughs) So we just had to kind of, like, make do with them. Yet, she waged war on sparrows. She got fed up with the sparrows that were nesting on her house. That's weird because you and your mom are such bird people. I mean, you have a cockatiel yeah. and she took care of it for a while. I think the sparrows were just too much because they, it, it, they took over one entire side of the house building mudness. So yeah, I guess the first characters that we meet are, are Batty. He uh, meets up with Krista and... 
her uh, manhunk fairy Pips, voiced by one Christian Slater. Manhunk, she's not into him though. She is totally not he's, having any of that. But he's into her though. Okay, he's if you all want, over her. If, if you haven't seen this movie and you're trying to figure out who people are and how they relate to each other, this is Pocahontas. Chris- Before Pocahontas. It's Before also- Pocahontas. Krista is Pocahontas herself. Our dear Zach is John Smith. That's the human That's who works human. for the loggers who she shrinks down. Yeah. And then and then Pips, our Christian Slater, is... Um, I don't remember the character's name, but there was the angry young Native American man that was in love with Pocahontas and didn't want John Smith to take her. And hated hated the white man. Yeah, in all cases, understandable. I mean, this is also the plot of Dances with Wolves and Avatar and The Last Samurai. It's just your classic white man is waging a war against the natives. He doesn't get it, and he's causing a lot of damage. And he's inducted into the natives' tribe and learns to take up arms with them, adopt their way of life and fight against his white brethren. But yeah, the the story is is not the most original, but it's yeah. it is it is done pretty pretty well. No, no, and it it is done well and it's doing it's kind of doing its own thing. Like it's probably the most similar to Avatar. I'd say this is a better film than Avatar <laughs> personally. <laughs> I haven't seen Avatar. I've, I've got some beef with Avatar, but what's interesting about these environmental issues, both the destruction of the rainforest and the animal testing both of those things are kind of soft-pedaled. I mean, I guess mainly because this is a movie for children. I think so. I mean, they have to make it, because it needs to be a narrative that's interesting to kids, right? So, like, if they're too blatant about the environmentalism, it doesn't work. And I think to make it palatable to a lot of, a lot more adults who are going to understand the messaging a little bit more, they have Hexus. Tim who, Curry. Tim Curry, who is this kind of weird, evil pollution spirit that lives in a dead tree and comes out and takes over and kind of is extra evil and wants to pollute and kind of takes the guilt and the blame away from the white men. I think by displacing the blame, it makes it easier to support people like Zack and hit like the dummies that he works with, the other loggers. Because we first see him spraying trees to be chopped down and just mowing down this entire uh, rainforest. So by sort of having this other character, Hexus, it does make it easier to kind of say, okay, this is the Mm. bad guy and he's not us. Oh yeah, definitely. There There are a few problems I have with this movie. One of them, it's set in Australia. Which I didn't get until this watch of it. Yeah. It's probably been like 15 years since I've seen this movie. And they have cassowary in there. And the cassowary, the, they're these big prehistoric looking huge birds. They essentially look like dinosaurs. Like that's, we look at those and you're like, yep, they're related. So these kind of freaky dinosaur birds, there are two of them. And they're the only two creatures in this entire movie that have Australian accents. And they're only on for a second to tell you, yes, this is Australia. And they also have, like, a flying squirrel and stuff. You don't think Tone Loke has sort of an Australian accent? No. That's right, folks. This is the third Tone Loke appearance on this podcast. And he gets to sing in this one. This is crazy how much Tone Loke is all over the movies of the early 90s. Wait, what? He was in Surf Ninjas, but what was the other one we had him in? Well, he's there in spirit. In Uncle Buck, 
He basically performs the theme song for John oh, Candy's character. Oh, that's right. I totally so he's a, forgot. He's a pivotal part of that movie. It's just he's not on screen. And gotcha. In this, he uh, <laughs> it's basically this big Australian monitor lizard that shows up and sings a little song about how much he wants to... Well, a little rap, really. Yeah. Uh, um, as only Tone Lope can. About how much he really wants to eat Zach. And I think he even has him in his mouth at one point. Oh, but, yeah. But Krista, it's kind of sexual, too. It's a little dirty. All like, of the songs in this are a little sexual. Yeah. There's a Raffi song, an Elton John song. The one that Tim Curry performed is very sexual, so much that yeah. they had to change the lyrics I was reading. Well, especially as he's, like, going around and sliming his way in and out of pipes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, the smog monster is, is very erotic, <laughs> as are most of uh, Tim Curry's characters. I thought you were going to say, as are most smog monsters. <laughs> but definitely channeling his uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show persona. But back to Tone Loke. He has this great musical number, kind of similar to the uh, big-lipped alligator in All Dogs Go to Heaven, where yeah. one of the main characters is in mortal danger, mm-hmm. and then immediately freed, Krista is like, no, don't eat my friend, and Tone Loke's like, okay. And he's and, just fine with it, because he's like, I like you, Krista. I think that she's built up a lot of goodwill in the Lizard Kingdom over the years, and she just sort of cashes in some of that there. I feel like the only way for her to build up goodwill there is to feed them other living creatures. I've developed a, a soft spot for Tone Loke over the course of this podcast, especially considering I didn't know how to pronounce his name in the Surf Ninjas <laughs> episode. But what I love about this sequence also is just how weird it is. I mean, there's leeches singing. It seriously comes out of nowhere, and it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the movie. It doesn't need to happen. It doesn't do a lot. It's just, I guess it's more to freak out the the man that's been shrunk down to fairy size. It, it adds a little color to it, and also yeah. it pads out the runtime a little bit, because well, yeah. this is a 72-minute movie. <laughs> it's like a really it's, short movie. It's barely a feature film. I think it can't be ignored, though. This is a film that's set in Australia. There, None of the characters actually have Australian accents. And then you've got these fairies who seem to be native to this Australian rainforest and they all appear to be white <laughs> which is a little weird because you'd think they'd be maybe aboriginal. I think that just kind of comes with the territory. Yeah. I mean if you watch something from 20 years ago it's they're not really yeah. going to have diversity so much in mind especially with animated stuff so I think you just gotta get it kind of got to go with it but I definitely hear what you're but saying. Yeah it's kind of one of those things that you just have to comment on because it's kind of like yeah it's that time they did that they'd probably still do that if we're being honest i think that uh goana is a lizard of color (laughs) he might be a lizard of color but isn't this like avatar where they painted all the people of color blue (laughs) (laughs) um yeah definitely (laughs) we haven't really uh talked enough about robin williams (laughs) It's a crazy performance that he gives, and it's uh, it really energizes the movie. I yeah. feel like without him, I mean, Tim Curry's great, but wow, Batty is a is a lot to take in. Batty is also better because Batty is essentially that kind of crazy side character that they put in to make it more fun for really young kids. But I feel like it's more successful than, say, uh, the, the snowman in Frozen. Who's just awful. Or the robot in Treasure Planet. I didn't see Treasure Planet. But Lindsay recently showed me Frozen for the first time. 
and I was rather charmed by it, but I was so confused by this snowman, because it's otherwise, like, a pretty <laughs> solid you... story, but I, I mean, but then again, if I was a young kid, I would yeah. be all about the snowman. <laughs> I mean, after we watched it, you said, this would be a really good movie without the snowman. <laughs> Yeah, I was a little baffled by him, and it's and it also it's like okay, so you have the side character, but does he need his own song? Does he need his own three-minute musical number yeah. about how he can't wait to, for the sun to come out? But I digress. But I think maybe we're kind of biased because we both love Robin Williams, but he he seems to add something to this without just being a little bit annoying, you know? Yeah, he's not the, the Jar Jar Binks of the film. Yeah. I mean, he's actively uh, helping out the protagonist, you the- know, flying. He, he repeatedly saves Zack. Yeah. Zack is always at the clutches of death it seems like well he's not used to being that tiny and he can't fly we didn't say but zach gets shrunk down by the fairy because she's trying to save him from being uh sucked in what is it he's going to be sucked into the tree eater that that is that what happens or does she just panic and shrink him she saves him from being crushed by a falling tree. There we go. That's why she shrunk um, And And once he's shrunk, he's almost ground up. Like, it's it's basically Zach repeatedly... Uh, on the verge of death. On the verge of death, yes. Yeah, Robin Williams' performance in this, I think it directly led to his work in Aladdin. Um, Maybe. So the production process for animation is usually you get it written... You do storyboarding and stuff, but then you do, before you actually animate anything, usually you get the voice work done. So, like, the production times for Aladdin, he was probably working on Aladdin before this came out. But the craziest thing about it is that he was only supposed to have, like, an eight-minute part in this movie, and he gave them 14 hours of material. 14 hours of material, right? Like, that's what we <laughs> I would have liked to be a fly on the wall for that. So he ended up I like having... I think that it was all in one session, too. <laughs> he ended up having a much bigger part because he went bonkers in the recording studio. And, and because they, you know, because of the way it works, they hadn't really animated it yet, so they were able to add in extra stuff using his ridiculous amounts of material. But it's kind of funny, too, because he was already starting to get pretty big then, and part of, we were kind of wondering, like, how did they afford Christian Slater, Tim Curry, Robin Williams, and all these guys? And it turns out they worked for scale wages. Like, most of the actors, they took smaller than usual chunks of change because they believed in the message of the film, man. All those damn Hollywood liberals trying to save the rainforest. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting Batty, uh, this fruit bat that has clearly uh, suffered at the hands of humans as well. I feel like the animal testing thing doesn't quite work just because it's it seems more comedic. They're making fun of the fact that he's tortured for the rest of his life by this antenna that channels in radio to his head. It's like, haha, look at this crazy bat. It's like, no, he was normal before they stuck an antenna in his head. So it's kind of a dark character in a lot of ways. Oh, his pain is hilarious. Uh, Samantha Mathis and Christian Slater uh, also teamed up on Pump Up the Volume, which is one of my favorites. And you said they were a couple, right? I believe so. And I think that they are broken up by the time that they did their third collaboration, Broken Arrow, with John Travolta, the uh, John Woo nuclear weapons action movie in 1996. But it's interesting that they work together so much, especially in such varied things. I think I'm trying to think of why I chose this movie and it, and I mean I I know why I chose it it was one that I watched over and over again and I was trying to think of what it was that drew me 
to this when I was a kid. And I think it was partly Robin Williams. Um, partly I loved animals. But I think the thing that really stuck with me about this movie was some of the imagery, especially um, when this elderly fairy is showing Krista how to grow a seed, just using their power and their faith in nature and kind of love of the world. And I always thought seeing that seed light up and start to sprout was just, I don't know, it just kind of haunted me as a child. Yeah, and it's used to great effect in defeating Hexus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Throwing that seed right into him. He's a pretty scary figure towards the end, like a big smoggy, gooey skeleton. He turns into like that kind of really scary demon from Little Nemo. The other weird thing to me is that Zack is only 16. Like, we get to see his his photo ID during the movie, and it says he's from Australia, even though he's clearly American. And it <laughs> says that he's 16 years old, even though he looks like he's probably 25. Yeah, and he's your classic 90s dude. He's got sort of the white sneakers and the jeans. And his he's, Walkman. He's got a Walkman that... Uh, he, later when he's shrunken down to size, he dances on top of. Oh, he's not just dancing on top of it. That was his way to man up. Yeah, Pips was really uh, trying to show off his, his knowledge of what it was. Yeah. And I gotta say, I mean, give credit where credit is due if Zach can man up against Christian Slater. Yeah. I did one thing that this movie did pretty well is because it did follow that sort of trope of white man comes in joins the natives figures things out and then saves them instead of him saving them he he was instrumental in them surviving however the one who really actually destroys hexus is krista like she's the one that pulls it off so that's pretty cool and she doesn't end up with anybody yeah really like they do she makes out with zach uh which is another scene that really burned into my child mind but um that doesn't really go anywhere he kind of just leaves i was kind of hoping that she'd end up with pips were you really <laughs> i mean I don't he know. had such douchey hair he's got this long red hair something about him so maybe it's his voice i don't know it's his voice <laughs> and other uh characters that we haven't mentioned yet are these beetle boys these weird played by cheech and chong yes played by cheech and chong and, and a few other dudes uh who are just kind of these weird man babies that fly around on beetles and don't really help in any major way they just kind of buzz by and deliver one-liners yeah very creepy characters I was reading that uh, Cheech and Chong hadn't really worked together in years when they teamed up on this, and uh, so sort of a reunion of sorts. But they said that they recorded their part in about two or three hours, and then... (laughs) Unlike Robin Williams. (laughs) Yeah. Who milked it for all he could get. Yeah, that's so charming to me. (laughs) I miss Robin Williams. It makes me wonder how long the recordings are that they have of him in Aladdin, like, what was that recording studio experience like? Oh, I imagine it was this times ten. What did you think about the art, Sean? Like, how did this co- compare to other animated films of the time? I mean, I really like 2D animation. Um, I, I, I mean, the forest wasn't, like, visually wow. Like, I wasn't thrilled yeah. by it. But I think that I'm just sort of spoiled by contemporary stuff a little bit. I think it's also kind of like a budget difference between what Disney... and. Disney just had so many resources, and for this one, this was definitely, like, a smaller film. I think it definitely felt like a real environment. Yeah. And, um, 
So I know some of the critics had complained that it looked like it was made for TV or something. I which I don't agree way. with. Like, yeah. I think that animation is definitely better than that, especially like the Hexes stuff when he transforms into the super monster. He looks, he's really, really arresting. I think that it's a, you know, a believable environment and it, it integrates the sort of newer CG elements to good effect. Mm-hmm. Kind of like pushing you through sort of three-dimensional space and yeah. sort of the things that they were that they were pioneering on Beauty and the Beast like when the camera would sort of orbit them and they were yeah. dancing and it doesn't it doesn't feel like a flat film to me which I think is in and, in and of itself is a big feat for 1992. All right, Lindsay, well, it's about that time. Do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? The people want to know. This is hard. I think I'm going to say rent it because it didn't it didn't pull me in in the way that I expected it to, but I still think it's really fun to watch. It has a great message, protect trees, protect the world. But I'm not sure it's really something that I'm going to keep returning to now that I'm an adult. Yeah, I, I'm with, I'm in the same boat as you. This is a rent it for me. I mean, there's definitely things that I like about it. I think the voice acting is very well cast. Um, you know, Robin Williams is a treasure. But yeah, you know, I, I think that it's it's more a curio of the 90s and more a nostalgia piece than one of the great animated movies yeah. of this era. Yet at the same time, I gave All Dogs Go to Heaven a rent it too. This is definitely well, a better movie than that. You gave that a rent it because you felt peer pressure since <laughs> Chloe and I had grown up with it. Yeah, I mean... That, that's this is what... where sometimes our ratings are a little arbitrary. Yeah, yeah. It's I... also kind of in that moment. Like, sometimes my feelings about it change, too. Rented is a big tent. Uh, and this is somewhere in the middle of the pack in the rented yeah. category. I, I enjoyed it. I just don't think it's a it's a classic animated yeah. movie by any means. I do think it's better than All Dogs Go to Heaven, too. Like, I'm more likely to have my kids watch this than that. Yeah. I'm not sure what message you're supposed to take from Old Talks Go to Heaven. <laughs> Be as shitty as you want. Uh, just don't try and come back from purgatory. <laughs> so uh, next time on Tapeheads, we are going to have a guest join us. You may remember him back uh, from The Saint. Oh, yeah. This is Chad Hines of Method Sauvage. He's a winemaker and a very dear friend of ours. He was going to bring on the Billy Zane superhero classic, The Phantom, but he brought, he's decided to bring a, uh, I would say, a, a sort of a milestone horror film of the late yeah. 90s. Well, definitely a milestone, um, definitely a pop culture phenomenon, uh, The Blair Witch Project. Yeah, for some reason, we all had a hard time finding a copy of The Phantom anywhere. I'm, I'm sure Chad can regale us with uh, tales of how he was not able to procure a VHS copy of The Phantom. But uh, I'm very excited to revisit The Blair Witch Project. Um, I think it's something that we can have a good, good chat about. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song, Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can find more information about our podcasts and other episodes at our website, tapeheadspodcast.com. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. So that's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. <laughs>